Tabernacle Podcast with me, Britton Bishop. Welcome, Tab family, to um, another episode of the Tab Podcast. We are pumped that you guys are tuning in today. Um, we are joined by a good friend of mine, um, mentor, uh, all the things, a man that I once had a deep hatred for in my heart. Uh, no, not really, kind of, but I did. Uh, but we are joined by uh, Charlie Marquis. Um, so, Charlie, what's up? Hey, guys. What's up? Good to be here. Yeah, so pumped for uh, Charlie to be here today. Charlie is an itinerant um, preacher and missionary um, through a ministry called Forge Kingdom Building Ministries, a ministry that uh, myself and John, who uh, couldn't make it today, are a part of. We all travel and speak through that organization. Charlie is the boss man around there. so uh, Not really. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> so, Tab family, if you hear me get a little uncomfortable, I don't know why I keep putting myself across the table from my bosses and down here in the dungeon. But uh, Jesus sure. really is all of our boss. Hey, there you go. So That's what something we say at the tab is Jesus Amen. is our senior pastor. So, but yeah, we're pumped, man. Charlie, uh, welcome to the dungeon. Uh, if it smells funny, it's the asbestos <laughs> in the walls. Ooh. So, uh, just know that that's going to make you tougher. Well, I was a little afraid I wasn't going to get let out once I came in. <laughs> yeah. So we got the guy down there that locks it. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So, but we're pumped you're here, man. We're pumped to hear how God has moved um, through your life. Mm. Um, I know some of the stories, but uh, I think just to hear it all put together in uh, yeah. in this interview fashion is going to be exciting. Tab family, uh, thank you guys so much for continuing to listen. And uh, this is Charlie Marquis's Change Life Story. Awesome. So, Charlie, uh, man. All right, let's start it just like we always do. Yeah. First memory. First memory, man. <laughs> uh, that's tough. I don't even know what I had for dinner last night, let alone memory, but... Uh, let's see. I think I've got a couple things coming to mind. Okay. One is when I gave my life to Christ. Okay. So we're just going to start off with that. Just boom. We're already there. <clears throat> Getting to the story. Um, my parents had taken us to church growing up, taught us about Jesus, shared the gospel with us. And so when I was five years old, I got out of preschool or kindergarten, got in the van with my mom and said, today's the day. I need to give my life to Jesus. Let's pray right now. Dang. Prayed really? with her in the van, gave my life to Christ, went home to my brother who was two years younger, three years old. <laughs> and with a five-year-old understanding, um, some things are greater and some things are limited. I went to my younger brother and I said, Will, uh, uh, if Jesus comes back tomorrow, you're going to hell. <laughs> <laughs> so you need to give your life to Jesus. He came along eventually, uh, and I've changed my tactics slightly, unless it's you. Uh, but Dude, uh, but but now I that also understand so much about you for me, though. If I think about modern day, however old I am now versus five years old, I think, oh, Matthew twenty four fourteen, this gospel, of the kingdom will be preached in all the world to all nations or all tribes, and then the end will come. I'm like, well, uh, we don't know when he's coming back, but we at least know that happens first. <laughs> There's still some more places to reach, so. Yeah. Uh, Man, you went to DEFCON 4 quick. I just asked you what your first memory yeah. was. Next I'll, to- all right, let me back up. Let me share one other first memory that comes to mind. Um, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on a podcast. Well, luckily you're at the Tabernacle so, Podcast, and we have a rule called uh, we can say whatever we want. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to take it to DEFCON 4 for a second before I hop into this other memory. <laughs> um, there are multiple spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. We see this in Romans 12. We see this in 1 Corinthians that these gifts are listed. Not everybody is all the gifts. And one of the gifts is leadership. So leadership is awesome. I love leaders. Some people are wired as leaders. But if you if you did a 
test in the room and it was accurate, 8% of the people would identify as leaders. And if everybody's a leader, then nobody's a follower. So that doesn't work. You can't have, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, you can't have all chiefs and no Indians. So, <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to say that well, with you, Brandon. as the credible source uh, here, I, I will allow it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> would you affirm the, <laughs> the reality of that oh, statement? Oh, my goodness. I think you would. Yeah. Um, you can't have all bosses and no workers. Yeah. So I believe all Christians are called to labor for the kingdom and advance the kingdom and work for the kingdom. Um, but not all are called to be spiritual leaders necessarily. All are called to influence and impact, but there are those who are called to church leadership and spiritual leadership. Yeah, and I think too, something so, to clear up is you're not what you're not saying is like <clears throat> your role as a Christian isn't to lead other people to Christ. No, that's a total different topic. Right. That's influence and yeah. impact. So yeah, that's not what you're saying. So I just wanted to clear yep. that up. Yeah. Yep, very important. Yeah, very important caveat. Um, what I am saying is that not everybody's called to church leadership and right. to train in that way. Yeah. Um, so that's a little caveat. That being said, I uh, am personally gifted as a leader. It's one of my spiritual gifts. And uh, uh, you have to be careful where you're leading people because people will follow. Mm. So also with my younger brother, uh, I have an early memory of um, playing outside with him, and we'd take our G.I. Joes and throw them off the porch and see if they'd break because <laughs> we're boys. And then we said, well— Let's make parachutes because we're parachuting into the war zone and we need to be cool. So we got King Super's bags and put it on our G.I. Joe's thinking it would save them and they still splatted and <laughs> scattered their pieces everywhere. But it was fun. So destruction is one of your first memories. Yeah. And when we were, yeah, actually, we had a battery powered Jeep. I don't know who does this, but we had two. So I said, Will, we've got two. Let's tear the other one apart just to see what's inside. <laughs> We took hammers to that thing and destroyed Golly. it. My parents probably wondered what was wrong in our heads a lot. But while we were playing and destroying things outside, my brother's like, I kind of need to poop. And I'm like, well, you don't want to walk all the way up the stairs of the porch and inside. That's really far, you know, 10 steps. You better just go ahead and poop under the porch since we got things going on out here. Oh my goodness. And he did. <laughs> oh, man. So just some early memories um, to oh, lighten the load John. here. <laughs> no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, we went there. So, but um, to, to try to get us back to something meaningful, um, as you can tell, y'all, Charlie and I don't have very much fun when we're together. Um, but... <clears throat> So five years old, yeah. come to know Christ. So we're talking about this kind of changed life story. So was everything perfect from there? Nope. <laughs> so as you, so uh, five, grew up in the church. <clears throat> so as you're kind of continuing into like adolescency, elementary, um, stuff like that, parents, yeah. relationship and everything. Parents are married. Yep. Yeah. Still married, I believe, right? Yep. Yep. Um, yep. Siblings. Got a younger brother, uh, two years younger, and then a sister who is five years younger than me. Okay. So kind of putting, you're, you're the big brother. Um, of a part of this family. I, I am the big brother who is shorter and smaller. Okay. Yeah. Well, for Tab Family, just for size <laughs> reference, I believe Charlie and Martin would be in the same hey. uh, height and weight class if they were to wrestle. Who and would win? We're taking wagers tonight. I'm taking Martin Rizzi, dude. He's scrappy. I've wrestled both of you. And I think Martin is stronger. I, I might have a little more grit. Yeah, I don't know. Martin grew up, <laughs> hey, you listen to his change life story, so. No, so, but grew up um, in the church. What was that like for you? Were you always bought into this idea of church? What kind of church was it? I don't know, just something. Yeah, I would say I was always bought in, but um, I had a surrender moment that radically changed my life about 10 years ago. Before that point, growing up in church, 
If I were to compare myself to one character in the Bible or one group of characters, who would it be? The Pharisees. Mm. So uh, I grew up in a church that was really solid, preached the Bible exegetically. So I knew the Bible backward and forward. Um, they preach verse by verse or book by book okay. and take out of the text so and si- preach what's in the text. The yep, similar okay. to the tab model. And so there would be times where I remember growing up, it took years and we went through the entire book of Romans, stuff okay. like that, yeah. or the book of Exodus. Yeah. And so I knew growing up the Bible backward and forward, what was right, what was wrong. Um, there were other aspects that didn't get emphasized, uh, like the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Uh, so that was missing in my life, um, that concept, like Dwight Moody. Great example historically, 1800s evangelists, sparked revival. Go look him up. You probably might maybe know about him. The school Moody yeah. Bible Institute's named after him. Um, he had this moment in his life of a second surrender where all of a sudden he felt empowered by the Spirit of God where more people were coming to Christ and God was directing and using him. And so that was a, a, a reality I didn't have. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's kind of what it looked like with the Lord. Um, so you kind of grew up. In the Christian ghetto, as we say here at the Tabernacle, right? So you're always in church, Bible-believing church. You probably yep. went to youth group. Every week, um, your f- sometimes twice. Yeah, so your family was pretty centered. Um, yeah, went on, to a public school. Went to a public school, okay. So so not homeschooled. No, no, no. That would be uh, a shock to some. No, I'm just kidding. Wow. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, that's but, cool. But uh, I would say how I acted in school and in the public realm was very boldly affiliated as a Christian, okay, but not loving, pharisaical. Uh, okay. So I'm a so Christian and down. you guys suck. All right. So that would basically, be, yeah. like, did that, did you I would find... raise my hand in science class when they're talking about evolution and be like, yeah, that's wrong. Okay. That was that person. Yeah. So did you find like, as you were kind of walking into that time of this is what Christianity looks like and this is what my relationships look like with other people, were you finding that you were having much success, I guess, and like this effort to be a Christian, or was it just one of those at that time in your life, it was just like, I'm a Christian, and I and you weren't as concerned with the process of bringing others along with you? Yeah, I never really invested in others. I was more about proving what is right. Mm, okay. And so um, here's an example. I was on a wrestling team, uh, and I was a team captain. And one time, we were rolling up mats after a competition, and one of our teammates was just sitting on the side, not helping. And I was like, why don't you help us roll up the mat? And he's like, F you. And I was like, no, F you. F and help us roll up the mats. Right. And he's like, who put you in charge? I said, the coach F and put me in charge. So get off your butt and roll up the mat. Um, that's what I was like. Okay. And uh, all at the same time saying, yeah, I'm a Christian and I'm proud of it. And you guys are all wrong. Interesting. Um, so kind of really arrogant. And I have my own life dream that I was seeking and I actually accomplished, and that was to join the military. Hmm. So my vision was to uh, become a fighter pilot or special forces, okay. and I worked hard for five years. Everything I did was for that. Sports, for that. Extracurriculars, for that. Leadership positions, for that. I was a police explorer. What does that mean? Uh, Boy Scouts for police. So I volunteered. We got to do liquor stings so and hang out with wanna, SWAT team I and that kind of stuff. So you were a police explorer. Yeah, it sounds Did cool, doesn't uh, it? <laughs> it does sound interesting. On one hand, uh, yes, and on one hand, it sounds nerdy. Right. So you're a police explorer, and uh, you're going kind of, this is more high school time, right? So yep. middle school, all this, you're kind of just this, as some would describe, 
um, an intense personality. What makes you say um, that? To be around. Uh, that's just <laughs> what I've heard. Uh, but more of an intense person. You're very driven, um, yep. very goal-oriented. This is what we're trying to do. This is the mission we're on, whether it be to become a part of the military, whether it be to get these effing wrestling mats rolled up, <laughs> uh, whatever that looks like. There's a mission, and we need to get this done. Yes. Um, and we need to optimize how we do so. Um, Everything which we may, do revolves around it. Yeah. And so, <laughs> um, but I also know you well enough to know you like to have fun. Uh, yeah. You like to screw around a little bit. So sometimes the mission was TPing somebody's house. Okay. I, I need to hear about this now. All right. Uh, also <laughs> on Police Explorers, like just fun note, we'd do ride-alongs. Uh, we'd be dummy characters hiding in buildings for the SWAT team to practice. We'd do liquor stings. We'd learn how to clear a building for an active shooter. So there were some fun things with it. Right. Um, uh, all right, TPing. <clears throat> yeah, we were pretty good. Uh, we would we would sometimes take – let me share an example. I rounded up some friends and said, hey, let's go get our youth pastor. I was always rallying the troops for trouble, uh, leading the charge. <laughs> And I'd be like, here's how we're going to teepee. Here's what it's going to look like. You guys are going to do this. I'm so going to do like that. have an efficiency plan for toilet papering houses. And uh, we would go to King Supers and get like 200 rolls of toilet paper. No no joke. And they'd clearly know what we were doing. I'd be like, sorry, my dad has diarrhea. Um, <laughs> as if they know we're not right, lying. Right. So we'd get all this stuff. <clears throat> we we go after the youth pastor and he catches us. And I'd be the guy who's like hiding in the bushes and watching him. And so he catches us. And he's like, listen, guys, smart youth pastor, um, help me clean up, and I'll help you to get the next person. <laughs> Great. So we clean up in five minutes, and he joins us. Youth pastors stay up late, I guess. I don't know. And uh, so we go to this girl in our youth group. She's a senior, and uh, we just ransacked the place. I'm talking 200 rolls, front yard, backyard, over the house, back over the house, <laughs> shaving cream and message on the driveway that says, go freshman girls. Always got to blame somebody. Um <laughs> Uh, saran wrap the front door and fill it with packing peanuts, packing peanuts all over the front lawn. This is an investment that we're uh, talking about here. There's yeah. some money involved in this. We forked the lawn but didn't break it because <laughs> so we're not nice. mean. Okay. And then what I would do is take a rope to the front door handle and tie it shut to a tree or to the front deck. Okay. And then doorbell ditch them so that <laughs> we would watch them try to open their door Dude, and ferociously wicked. freak out because they're like, well, I want my front door open. <laughs> And then they'd go out to the garage, but by that time, we long gone. So um, we were terrible. Yeah, you're wicked. Um, one time, we doorbell ditched a house in my parents' neighborhood. What do you call it? Doorbell ditched. That's Ding the, dong ditch. Ding dong ditch is what it's called. So, it, it depends on your region. Tomato, tomato. Well, that's uh, a really dumb way to say it. That's very... So one time, we were doing this in our neighborhood, and this guy came out with a baseball bat and paced the street while we hid in a bush and watched. <laughs> Another time, we did this house... And we ran down to the screen belt with these guys chasing us. But so then you were like, you were on they it all the time. Flipped a car all the way around the other side of the green belt and cornered us. And they're like, "Hey, next time you do it, we're gonna shoot you with our paintball guns." Dang! So you were like, yeah, you were often toilet papering houses. I remember like. When I was like 13, like we did it once or twice for somebody's birthday, but this seemed like this was like a club you were in at school, uh, <laughs> which I mean, I guess there's worse I've things you could be doing. probably done it 10 to 20 times uh, in my week, life. A week, it sounds like. I don't know. I can't remember. I always wanted to prank. Have you ever, but, so yeah. did that ever impact like you and your stance as a police explorer? 
not my stance, like, but I one time was running from the police and <laughs> yelling at my brother's friend so we didn't get caught. <laughs> my goodness. So stirring up mischief. But, but, all right. So so all that to say, everything I did, yeah, I had fun and all that, but it was driven around this military vision, and I ended up being nominated for West Point and Air Force Academy by a vice president and senator. Okay. That's difficult for those if you don't have any idea. Took takes a lot of work. Yeah. Uh you have to be in extracurricular AP, all these like all A's, sports leadership, yeah. military or police le- like if you don't have that, they're not gonna say yes. And so um I was doing that, but for that vision, really saying, This is what I want for my life, God will you bless it. Mm. I read the verse someone pointed to me, Psalm thirty seven four, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And I read that as I'm a Christian, so got yeah. the delight checked off the list. That yeah. means I can do whatever I want. Yeah, that's very interesting. <clears throat> that's similar to um, we've had a, a good friend uh, come on the podcast named Foster Christie. Um, mm. He did an episode on grace, but he talks about this idea um, that Christians bring uh, to their relationship with God as my obedience equals God's obligation. Where mm. if I can do all these things and do all the right things, yeah. then obviously God has to bless it because I've done all <laughs> the things, right? Just kind of this idea of and – and I've seen it in my own life, and I think that as I've gotten to know you, um, probably would be a theme that you would find in your own life. It's just this idea of like performance-based acceptance. Mm-hmm. If I'm doing all these things, then <laughs> I'm accepted. I'm doing all the right stuff, and yeah. that's kind of this theme throughout. So, But as you're – And I think I just didn't even think about it. Oh, right. I'm, I'm like, I, I'm a Christian, so God already accepts me. Now I can do what I want. Right, and that's – I mean, as for me, I never – until I heard somebody say <clears throat> yeah, it, and yeah. then I looked back at my other relationships, like, oh, wait, wait a second. Uh, <laughs> that's why this is – but... so, so basically, I could argue in that season, I was all about me and my vision, but I knew the fullness of the truth, and I could argue anyone mm. in of, into anything or out of anything, okay. debate everybody and anybody. And uh, so that's kind of – the mentality of Pharisees. And that was up until you were probably, what, 18, 19? Yep. So what – so you're high school, you're doing all the stuff, right? I'm extracurriculars, I wrestle, run cross country, which I just knew that. That seems weird that you didn't say that in the podcast, uh, but I knew those things. It's um, kind of creepy. Well, uh, <laughs> we've talked once or twice, right, but uh, <laughs> that – I don't love running. Right. Due to stay in shape. Proverbs 28, one only the um, wicked flee when no one pursues. Um, well, we got to practice so that when the wicked does pursue. <laughs> we're ready, buddy. Uh, you know, okay, we're ready. We don't know somebody. if it's the North Korean police. You want to run fast. Uh, <laughs> more than just TPing a house. But but uh, I did that to stay in shape for wrestling. Okay, so. so did all that stuff. Just kind of this idea of investing in a greater vision that was being a part of the military, um, yep. chasing this dream of going to West Point or the Air Force Academy. Um, I feel like I remember you telling me at one point you wanted to be a fighter pilot was kind of the goal, correct? Yep, fighter pilot or special forces. Yeah, so wanted to not just be a part of the military, but wanted to be a serious, um, like you wanted to be as high up as humanly possible. My whole career. I was like, this is the rest of my life. Yeah, and so gave yourself to Mm -hmm. that vision. So as you're kind of continuing in that and pursuing God, but just kind of I know about God, um, a lot about God I can yep. argue about with anybody. But kind of that piece that you have hinted towards as well was kind of that scripture piece of like, they will know you're my disciples by your love. Yeah. Where did you kind of see that shift happen in your life? Because I know you now, and so I know yeah. obviously there's been a shift. So where was that kind of, where did that shift happen Ho- for you? Hopefully there's a shift. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Still argue with you once in a while if we want to for fun, but. Yeah, just because that's how we are. Um, 
I was in my last year of high school, just graduating. I had taken the oath <clears throat> to defend the Constitution. Uh, my dream was in my hand. It was moving forward. And at that time, before training started, the youth pastor at my church came to me and said, hey, we got this opportunity to go to this camp. Would you come and see if it'd be good for our youth ministry? I said, sure, I'll come with you. Ended up at this camp run by a ministry called Forge. Uh, we all have heard about that once or twice. Um, <clears throat> so here I am at this camp hearing these itinerant preachers uh, preach the word of God with boldness and passion and sharing stories of things I hadn't really heard or at least never recognized. Mm. Um, things like God alive now working in people's lives. It seemed like the book of Acts was still open and alive in the present tense. Uh, stories of people coming to Christ and boldly proclaiming the gospel and living for Jesus in everyday places and around the globe. So I'm hearing all this stuff, and it's exciting me, hearing about disciples being made in the most unreached, dangerous places around the world. And <clears throat> one of these messages ended with the conclusion of this all started by listening to God's voice, um, mm -hmm. being led by the Spirit, um, kind of like Acts 8 with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, where the Lord, the Spirit tells him, to go down this road, so he goes. Okay. And then he sees the chariot, and the Spirit's like, go up to the chariot. And the guy's reading Isaiah, and he proclaims the gospel. I'm like, okay, this is a weird topic. I don't know what I think about it. I've never experienced it. Lord, this is a weird message, but if you want to tell me something, I will listen. In that very moment <clears throat> of prayer, uh, I had this picture in my mind um, of... of a grass field in darkness and fire and light coming through the field. I'm like, what the? <laughs> That's weird. That was like my idea, but it wasn't my idea. It was in my head, but that wasn't my idea. Yeah, as I like, you didn't God. grow up like in like a charismatic no, environment. So. I guess our charismatic friends would call that a vision. Yeah. So uh, that happened, and I didn't really know what to do with it. That same week as I was praying, this thought entered my mind, and it was these words. Charlie, you're willing to risk your life for your country. Or are you willing to do that for me? Mm. And I was like, whoa, okay. Uh, so that start, sparked a little bit more. I was excited about God's work around the world. I had this picture in my mind that I didn't know what it meant. I had this phrase of willing to risk my life. And uh, so I was wrestling with that. Ended up praying again at this cross. I was with this group with Forge. And um, I believe God was speaking clearly. Uh, these phrases came to mind, maybe more clear than ever before or ever since. Um, and it was, will you surrender the military and put me first in your life? Mm. It was an idol. And uh, said, yes, Lord, I will. And he said, if you mean it, get on your face. Mm. And I'm like, come on, there's ants and dirt. I don't want to get on my face. Plus, I'll look like a freak Christian. Who wants to look like a freak Christian? I'm not getting on my face. He's like, if you mean it, get on your face. So I got on my face and said, Lord, anything you want to do with my life, I'm in. I'm all in. I surrender. I don't care what it looks like. If you want me to do it, I'll do it. And I had no idea what that meant. Uh, I'm like, I don't know what to do next. I don't have any plans except the military. So I prayed, Lord, I need you to tell me because military training starts next week. If you don't tell me, I will still join the military, but I'm surrendered to you, whatever you want. I just don't have any plans. I don't know what to do with my life. And uh, when I was praying that, God led me to Romans chapter 1. I just felt like I had to read that scripture. As I'm reading, Paul says he's set apart for the gospel. Like, that's it. That's his life. Hmm. 
And he later says he's obligated. He has to. He's by God. He's obligated to preach to the wise and to the foolish. And God began to give me this unpacking understanding for me personally. I was going to be preaching to various people in different places, to people who knew Jesus but could grow in their passion for him, and to people who didn't, the lost and unreached, dangerous places around the world. So I'd be traveling. Mm. And uh, then that picture that I had in prayer made sense. Oh, I was supposed to take his light and his fire to dark places and spark things in people's lives. Mm. And um, God began to unfold this. In that same season, as the Lord was leading me, I began to spend more time with him, up close to him. He began to change my heart. I began to see other people, what love and humility looks like. And as this was happening in my life, all this knowledge that I had just like ran, like exploded into my heart, like, like the snap of a finger and moved into action. And so all these things I knew quickly moved to action, and uh, God began to convict me to love people to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than myself, hmm. um, to to not just argue and debate people to be right. There's a time for debating and apologetics and that sort of thing. Uh, but really I was doing it just to be proving people yeah. wrong and shaming them and saying here's the right way. Rather than loving people and saying, yeah. "Look at what God could have for your life," yeah, I and love that. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of I would call that the tipping point where everything changed. Yeah. I would say, um, if you're hearing this, you're like, "Dude, that's kind of weirdo stuff." Yeah, I feel that way sometimes too. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, we see it in the scriptures if the Bible's our authority, and we see it with Dwight Moody, these respected evangelists throughout history, where. He had that moment, like I referenced earlier, and all of a sudden he saw more of God's power in his life to see, lead others to Christ, yeah. to impact people's lives, and I, I began to witness the same. Yeah, that's that's <clears throat> kind of this concept. As I've, as I've spent time in ministry, and uh, I can relate to a part of your story just in the sense of like there was this moment in Houston, Texas, where it was like clearer mm-hmm. than anything I've ever heard. It's like this is what you're going to do the rest of your life as I'm standing here worshiping with um, a group of students in the mm-hmm. midst of difficulty and I was like, I don't know if you actually mean that. <laughs> so I'm just gonna move on. But um I, I love this concept that you just broke down of what it looks like to actually love. Yeah. Um, because I think there's something that happens in our culture um with this word love and it's such a perverted term mm. and it's something we've talked about on the podcast before, but I think it, it um warrants revisiting just for the sake yes. of having another voice here. It's just this idea that loving God is more than knowing him. Loving God is more than just experiencing him. Loving God, it it's more than just following the rules. It's all of that included. It's this idea that love is, you can't love something you don't know. And so that's spending time in God's yep. word. That's <clears throat> spending time getting to know um, who he is, what he's like, the characteristics of Christ and, and his church. And going back to the Old Testament, seeing how God is mm. faithful to bring you through and how he's faithful to do what he says he's going to do. But then there's this idea of loving God with your emotion and yeah. and feeling your heart, like you were saying, just having that knowledge move that 18 inches from your forehead down to your chest where yep. you experience this heart fire for God. And then as you are moving through that emotion, now it comes into my will. Yep. And, and a part of loving God is, is, obey, is mm. obeying. I, isn't it funny how we shy away from words like that? And, and the scripture like doesn't. The, negative the one who loves me obeys my commands. Yeah. And, but, it's this, but it's this idea that love is more than just an emotion. Yeah. It's more than a head knowledge and it's more than just following the rules, but it's head, heart, and will, right? Yeah. Because as you do that and as you do all of those things, right, your mind is engaged, your heart is inflamed, and your will is mm-hmm. equipped. And so you just see this moment where all of those things combine, yeah. and now we see radical life change. Yeah, love is not a feeling. Right. And it's not just knowledge about something. Yeah. It, 
both are included, but it's also a decision and it's also a choice. Yeah, uh, it's a yes. <laughs> there are days when you don't feel it mm-hmm. or you don't feel like it. Yeah. And you choose to because yeah. that's your commitment to love. Yeah. Just like in a, a marriage. marriage. Yeah. Uh, you don't wake up every single day saying, yes, this is legit. Some days are like, man, this is hard. Yeah. But I choose to love and put the other person first and serve them. Yeah. And uh, it's a decision. There are other days where you have all the feeling and you're like, this is the best thing on the planet and I feel it. Mm. And of course you choose to love then too. Right. And so, uh, yeah, I think that's highly important. Yeah. And I think too, like, as you look at the Christian life and at the Christian walk and it's, there's so many, I I love the picture because I can relate to it so well, is this idea of like, well, I prayed the prayer when I was five and I, and I firmly believe that you prayed that prayer and you meant it when you were five. I mean, but there's something about when all three of those things and yeah. your love is now, and you see yeah. this radical life change and you mm. see this picture that of what I see from Paul, what I see in the life of Peter, what I see yeah. in these people that Jesus is impacting is you're seeing them not only, they go from being a Pharisee to this disciple follower of the way of Jesus mm. that is kind of this, it launches this life that is, the, the impact is incredible that you see. But I think that it, the, biggest thing that I see and hear from what you're saying is that there was a radical life change moment. And I think that that comes from not just knowing God, but now I know him, I'm obeying him. And now my heart is on fire for him. Yep. And it's this great. And then like the stories that come afterwards, I'm so pumped for what we're about to talk about. It's just this, <laughs> how faithful God is to when he calls and when people <clears throat> say yes. And that's something yeah. that we talk about all the time here on the podcast is your unreserved mm-hmm. yes, right? It's something that comes from a friend of ours, uh, Nathan, yeah. uh, being a Christian is saying yes to Jesus every time. And uh, and there, but I, love I think that. there's a, a biblical picture. We see, look at the disciples with Jesus and then look at them after Acts chapter 2. Yeah. Um, man, they're often full of fear beforehand, like trying to chop off people's ears. Right. Uh, Which in my opinion, Peter just has really bad aim because there's no way he was just going for an ear. Okay. Yep. Um, I think you're right. Uh, and also wanting to call down fire on people. Right. Okay, guys, like seriously. (laughs) So they didn't get it. Yeah. And, uh, then you have, okay, but we're surrendered to Jesus moment of in the upper room praying Mm. and submitting to him saying, yes, and then the power of the Spirit comes in and pours out, fulfill the prophecy of Joel, uh, where he says, I'll pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And we see from that point, oh, man, they're preaching with boldness. Yeah. They're preaching with courage. They're winning the world. They're filled with wisdom. And all these things happen throughout the book of Acts. It's like this is the exciting stuff. The movement all right. I mean, you even blows look at up. the excitement that comes <clears throat> from like— I love the unschooled ordinary men. Yep. Um, I mean, you think of like the picture Acts of Stephen. 413. You think of the picture of Stephen. Yep. Right? This dude that's literally works at the food pantry. Like his sole purpose, they were like, okay, listen, if we're going to take care of widows and orphans and all of us are going to preach, you we got to find it. some people <laughs> that can take care of widows and orphans because we're not going to stop preaching. Yep. And that's where we get introduced to this character, not this character, this man named Stephen. Yeah. And he's faithfully serving in that. And then all of a sudden he pisses some people off and then boldly preaches the gospel, preaches the message of his life. Kill and him. Then, and then martyr. Love the picture that's painted <clears throat> right before he's about to be martyred. He says he looks into heaven and Jesus is yeah. standing. Yeah. And it's just like this ordinary mm-hmm. dude that's just doing what he feels like he's called to do. Submitted to God's spirit, God's will, fully just engulfed in this radical life change. And I love the picture that that brings Jesus to yeah. his feet. And it's, I just it's love exciting. that. It's yeah. exciting. And 
it is – I think it does bring us uh, the ability to love people because it's not our ability. It's Christ's ability mm, in us. That's good. Uh, Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Like we're filled with joy. Right. We're filled with the ability to love people by his strength. Um, Ephesians 5 continually uh, – depends on your translation. The correct tr- – it may say be filled with the Spirit, but the Greek language – there are some translations like NASB and other that say continually be filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5. That's what we're to do as Christians by surrendering, submitting, and saying yes to Jesus. Yeah, I love that. So 18, on your face at the cross, did the cool thing at Forge, and now it's like, okay, like I've got a week, and I've read Romans now, and I'm like, okay, this is what I'm (laughs) supposed to do. So what coming out of that, like, what happened? So uh, I said, okay, I guess I'm not joining the military. How was that? How was it? Was that tough for you? Uh, It was exciting. Okay. Um, because it was so fresh and so new and an adventure before me, I was like, wow, there was so much more to God's kingdom than I ever knew. Mm. And I was excited to be able to jump in. How did like your family and like your mentors at that time feel? Yeah. So here's what happened. I started telling people and they're like, whoa, 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 slow down. (laughs) You you sure you're not just on a camp high? Yeah. Like you're going to give up your entire life, everything you've worked for. People don't just get full-ride scholarships, ROTC, military, academies. All People don't just get that stuff. Like may, maybe you should join the military, serve four years, five years, whatever it is, and then get out and use those skills. Mm. And uh, they're going to pay for everything. And It wouldn't be that wise, would it, to just back out of this. I was hearing stuff like that. Um, other people were like, yeah, sounds like the Lord. You should do it. Uh, so I still had a decision that only I could make. Hmm. What did um, that process look like for you? Well, I had already prayed, and so I was praying, like, Lord, what's the next step? Um, And in that timeline, I believed the next step was to uh, go to Colorado Christian University, Bible college there. It's a radical shift. Uh, Yep. So I applied (laughs) on Friday, and school started on Monday. (laughs) Um, In that same timeline, I called the military and said, yep, I'm backing out of my scholarship. I'm not coming. Mm. And they're probably like, what the heck? Nobody does that. Right. Nobody works for what you have and then just says, I don't want it. Did they try to talk you out of it? or They said, why? And I said, because God told me not to. <laughs> just the most Christian answer you could ever It was get. probably just like. Jesus juke. <laughs> yeah, they were probably like, uh, psyche, Val, anyway, we right. don't want you. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> um, And they're like, okay, whatever. And so I backed out, um, applied for Bible college. And I said, Lord, I don't believe that I'm supposed to go into debt to do what you're calling me to do. You're going to have to provide. I've saved zero dollars for college because the military was going to pay for everything. I don't know how this is going to work. So I ended up going to Bible college. Um, I'm I'm not that great. So I'll just say this. I finished in three years and got a four-year degree. But that's only because I worked so hard in high school and had all these extra classes built up. So that gave me also extra time to get to to the mission sooner, uh, to get to preaching sooner. Um, How did you pay for school? I worked two or three jobs throughout the entire time while I was there. What were they? Anything Uh, cool? Youth ministry internship, youth pastor, uh, worked part-time at Forge, um, did summer landscaping. Landscaping? Yep. Me and my buddy Nathan had a landscaping (laughs) business from high school. What was it called? Uh, BMM Landscaping or no, Christian Brothers Lawn Care. I think we changed the name. Okay. Christian Brothers Lawn Care. And uh, we had a good business going, a lot of customers weekly and um, for lawn mowing, and we had a way we did it. But uh, so 
God provided, I graduated debt-free within mm. a month of graduation, no debt, no no loans, nothing. And uh, Bible college is not cheap. Right. So, Especially in Colorado. Yeah. God provided a way. He made it happen. I was preaching on the side. My hobbies during Bible college were preaching and missions. <laughs> <laughs> so on the side, I would preach whenever I could uh, from place to place or within the, the church ministry I was doing. Um, so you were a youth and, pastor? Yep. How did, that, how did that look for you, like while you were going to school and stuff? It was great. Yeah. Did you, I mean... We'd take kids out to share the gospel in parks. Um, we had nights of prayer nights where we would like read passages of scripture, but then spiritually put them into action, Yeah, following the themes of a passage. Uh, we'd have preaching, you know, typical stuff, uh, times alone with God. You don't seem like the kind of guy that played a lot of games for some reason to me. Yeah. Um... <laughs> I had other volunteer leaders organize any sort of games. Okay. If I was just there and I was the only leader any night, then sometimes we wouldn't have any. <laughs> I'm so, horrible at that. I'm good at leading the vision, really bad at the games. Did you guys have worship? Yep. Was there anybody specific that led worship? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I worked hard to find people. Um, I asked lots of different people, and they all kept saying no. Right. They'd come. I'll come check it out. And then they'd say No. I'm like, what the heck? Our youth group's awesome. They even said, I love your youth group, but just not feeling it. Mm. Okay, whatever. God had a plan. <laughs> so I can say that with confidence. Um, what happened was uh, <laughs> there's this girl named Dara, and we were f- acquaintance friends, I'll say. Acquaintances. Okay. Slightly more than stranger acquaintances but not quite full-on friends somewhere in the middle and so i called her up and i was like hey would you consider uh would you consider doing worship for our youth ministry and she's like i'll pray about it um she's on a trip called me back after and said yeah i'll do it she showed up started doing it we started talking more we became good friends and one thing led to another uh and uh, yeah, I, I, we developed feelings, started dating prayerfully in the whole process, asking God's plan. That's a whole nother story. Well, we got um, time. So <laughs> uh, I'll, for all you young people listening, this will relate to you. What do you do with dating and relationships? Um, I had haphazardly dated, I'll call it, throughout yeah. high school, missionary dating, whoever right. I felt like, <laughs> because they were attractive and that's all I cared about. Right. And uh any of you guys, you know what I'm saying. You've done that. Don't do it. Yeah. It's a waste of time. So I got to college after this surrender moment and said, I want things to be different. Lord, what's it going to look like? And uh, I did have a very strong desire for a relationship. So I had this burning desire for a relationship, but I also knew I was called to travel and preach and go to unreached dangerous places to spark disciple making. Hmm, sounds like a great opportunity for a relationship. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Who wants that? Right. So I literally prayed every single day in college without fail because it was a desire on my heart. Lord, I know you're the father of good gifts, so I would love the gift of a relationship. Hmm. But I know I have a crazy calling. If you want me to be single my whole life, I submit to that. I prayed that every day, gave it back to God every day. And so when Dara came along, I was like, oh, uh, Lord— like, should I ask her on a date? <laughs> and I felt peace about it. Felt like it was a yes. And um, that same week after I was praying, and in fact, during the prayer time, I was like, Lord, really? Are you sure? <laughs> because it was so much surrender every day. Right. 
And so it was like, oh, this is actually a possibility. All right. right. And uh, uh, and she was out of your league. Who who could? Yeah, of course. Like, <laughs> there's no doubts on that. Right. In fact, one time when we were hanging out, I was like, we, I don't know why we were talking about this, but we were uh, we ended up talking about who are the type of people we ever would consider dating. Okay. And we were just friends at this point. Yeah. I was like, yeah. I would never date anybody that's not willing for me to die a martyr on a mission field somewhere. Of course you did. And she's like, oh, that's good. Like, I always thought I wouldn't be willing to date anybody if they're not willing to be persecuted. I said, oh, (laughs) hey, I like that. You said that to somebody when you were just friends? Yeah. (laughs) Don't ask me why. I don't know. Uh, I was young and dumb. Still kind of dumb. But... (laughs) uh, So... What in the world? I don't even know what I'm saying. Anyways, um, so uh, I'm like, oh, my goodness, this could work. I was working at this church at the time, and with two of the pastors, it was around Valentine's Day. Uh-huh. They're like, oh, you going on a date with anybody for Valentine's Day? And I'm like, no, poor me. You know, like yeah. there's nobody to go with. And they're like, what about all these girls who volunteer for you in the youth ministry? I'm like, well, funny you ask. I was <laughs> – praying about Dara this week and I'm thinking of asking her on a date and the pastor looks at me and he's like my wife and I have been praying about this for a very long time we think you should do it Mm. I was like whoa okay Lord I guess this is the right step wait you called that pastor Lord (laughs) (laughs) no don't be ridiculous man that's how I'm feeling toward God obviously my Lord this might be the next step um, wait, you don't call your pastors out here? <laughs> uh, John doesn't let us. Tim Tim wanted us to call him the worshipful master, but that oh got vetoed. Gosh. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, John's going to veto us both after yeah. this podcast. Uh, so I'm like, great, I'm going to ask her. So we were hanging out one night after youth group, you know, hey, let's have a planning meeting. You know? <laughs> I don't know what I said, but let's hang out. So uh, we can talk for 10 minutes about the youth group and then let's just hang out. Yeah. Um, so we're hanging out. And uh, apparently, we drove to get ice cream at McDonald's. Horrible. Why would I do that? I don't know. I know there's an NFL player that's super rich, and his first date, he always takes girls to McDonald's. And if they complain, then he won't go on another date with them Mm. because he's like, man, then what are they? And so I see the strategy there. Make sure she's humble, willing to eat the McDanks. So we got some ice cream at McDonald's, McFlurry, whatever, and... We're sitting in the car. I guess it was started getting late, and uh, Dara says, "I don't, I don't recall this, but she says I was like, what, she's like, what the heck is? He's like not listening to me because I was probably nervous. Out right. of all, get out. So she, from her perspective, she's like, it seems like he's not even listening, and he's like rubbing the steering wheel raw <laughs> with his hand right now. Like, what is wrong with him? <laughs> Super nervous. Yeah, really? like my hands are just just yeah. back and forth on the That's steering so wheel, weird. zoned out, looking ahead, thinking about what I'm gonna say. I'm, I can see this in my head. You probably looked like so. She probably thought you were about to kill her. <laughs> so then I look over. I'm like, so. You want to go on a date sometime? (laughs) Took a little effort to figure out how to say that. You know how it is. And uh, she said, yeah, I'd love that. I'm like, oh, cool. And I was like, well, um, I'm going to want to ask your dad's blessing before we do that. She's like, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. I would hope that you would. And uh, so then I went uh, into the president's office at our ministry where I was working, Forge, (laughs) who happened to be her dad. Uh, And uh, Shooter's got to shoot, right? um, I'm like, Wow. Uh, I'm holding onto a coffee cup, and literally because my hands are shaking, like like quaking. I'm like look like I have an anxiety attack or something. So I walk in there holding onto a coffee cup just to keep my composure. You know, gotta look good. And uh, 
I don't know how long we talked, but I'm like, hey, Dwight, how's your day? You know, the weather's nice, isn't it? Just dancing around what, it. What have you been up to this weekend? You know, and then finally he gives me this look. Like he pauses and he just gives me this look like, what do you want? Yeah. Because it's a work day and he's busy. He's got a lot of work to do. Like, why are you, like, are you just going to like talk about random junk all day? And so finally I'm like, well, I don't know if you heard. I asked Dara on a date. And he goes, no, I didn't hear. <laughs> I'm like, well, um, <laughs> I just wanted to ask your blessing. And he's like, yeah, I give you my blessing. And, and we went, so we went on our date and it was a great time. And things progressed from there. There's a whole nother story with the journey of engagement and marriage. Uh, I don't need to share all that now. But uh, again, a prayerful journey. God led us to marriage. Hmm. And uh, it's, it's been how awesome. Did that, how did that impact like your relationship with God, as you saw, like, man, you were like, you were faithful in prayer for this spouse. Yeah. Like you were very specific in your need of a spouse that it was going to need to be somebody that was bought into the mission specifically yep. that you were called to. Was that, how did that impact like your relationship with God? Uh, I think just more dependence and trust that he's going to bring the right person at the right time. Yeah. Um, and make it all work. Yeah. Just like affirmed his timing and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't have time to tell you right now, but even from not just dating, but to engagement and marriage, it was a prayer journey on both of our ends to say, when's the right time? Yeah. God, is this the right step? Are you confirming this? It was a big deal for her. Uh, I was sure before she was that we were supposed to be married. Yeah. And she needed a final, like, this is what God wants because I know what the calling is going to look like. And, uh, I was like, well, if God is leading this, I know that he's going to bring it in her heart, so I'm not pushing anything. Um, and he did, and he brought all the pieces together. Hmm. And so it's really trusting his power and sovereignty to bring the pieces yeah. together that we aren't going to force anything. Very cool. And, um, yeah, and then, you know, ministry-wise, there's been wild stories all around the world, unreached places, people coming to Christ, um, difficulties, suffering. So uh, let's rewind a little here. bit. Yeah. Graduated from Colorado Christian, yep. three years Bible degree, um, doing local church ministry, all this stuff. Yep. How does God begin like developing this calling that you've talked about? Yeah, I would have uh, opportunities to speak here and there, of course, local church. Right. And then from time to time, high school chapels, uh, FCA groups, um, you name it. I'd yeah. just be speaking here and there. Uh, at the same time, I'm planning mission trips for when I'm not in school. Okay. So during the summer, so what um, did those look like? Uh, I would take students to Asia or to Africa. I myself would be going to Africa, trying to launch disciple making and unreached people groups. Um, so it was there like, like anywhere specific that you were focusing in on, or was it just like shotgun? Like, all right, we're just going to try uh, this one, try this one, try this. With one. students, it was wherever there was opportunity. So I took students to Burkina Faso, West Africa. Okay. I took high school students to Kyrgyzstan and Central Asia. Okay. Um, and those were pretty exciting trips. Uh, but for me personally, uh, I had taken a trip to East Africa with one of those itinerant preachers. I heard he was going. I said, mm-hmm. I want to go learn with this guy. Hopped on a trip with him. And we went to unreached villages of people who'd never heard of Jesus. We went to um, Muslim areas. And we went to uh, red light districts. Okay. And I saw God doing wild and crazy things in all of those. I saw people coming to Christ. I saw... Uh, the Holy Spirit being poured out and working in women who were stuck in this red light district kind of lifestyle and Which finding them a way out. Prostitution, yes. sex slaves, different yep. things like yep. that. Yeah. And uh, just saw things I never thought were possible 
I had the opportunity to share the gospel with tribal people. They gave their lives to Christ. I'm like, wow, I never thought God could use me for this kind of stuff, even though he had began to call me. Yeah. And um, so that happened, and I had asked those people on ground, the local believers with some of these tribes, hey, do you know any people that, any tribes that just like totally unreached, nothing with Jesus? They're like, oh, uh, yeah, we've heard of this tribe called the Hadza Bay somewhere in Tanzania. They're really out in the bush. I'm like, oh, cool. So I got home, started researching, started praying, found out that they were a tribal group that lived in grass huts, hunted with poison bow and arrows, and um, spoke an isolated click language. Sounds like Oshote, Yesu, Haine, Iquibiena. They worshiped the sun in the sky and ancestor spirits. And I said, let's go there mm. and praying about it. And um, I asked probably 15 different people if they'd go with me. Mm. One after another, they either said no or they said yes. And then they backed out and said no. And uh, so I had bought a plane ticket. Um, packed my bag and had the phone number of one African pastor in the city. And I was really hoping he'd pick me up. And I went by myself. Really? I land in the airport. No idea what to expect. I'm like, well, God's calling. Nobody else is coming. God's good enough. (laughs) So I show up, praise God. The pastor shows up. Uh, he connects me in his church with a believer who, uh, has a tourist company. So he has a land cruiser can take me to the bush. So I hook up with this guy and uh, we drive to the bush where the Hadza Bay would be. And I knew from research and from connections that there was one woman, Mariamu, who knew English and that tribal language. I said, mm-hmm. we got to find this lady. We showed up in this area. We found the lady. I met her for about an hour, got to know her, got her phone number, said, I want to work with you in the future. And um, Was had... she a believer? No. No. Okay. And uh, it's an interesting question to answer. She also wasn't um, – the tribal religion. Okay. So she was just kind of... She was what you would call uh, been to school in the Tanzanian systems in the area. So historically, they forced some people out of the villages to go to school and live in compounds, and some of them got sick. They'd wander back to the bush. They don't really want to change. Yeah. And she had learned in school. Okay. Uh, when she was younger. So she, in school, learned Christianity. Um, Tanzania is kind of 50-50 Muslim Christianity and a little bit of animism here, probably 20% animism and how I, math, you know, so right. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> largely Christian and largely um, uh, Muslim. But there are still areas with tribes like the Hods Bay where people don't know of Jesus and that sort of thing. So it's kind of a weird mix. Um, I see this all – side note, missions. Uh, I see this all over the world where there will be pockets of believers but they don't know where the unreached people are. Oh, okay. And so you start to partner with them and find the unreached people, and then you have a good model to get the unreached reached. But gotcha. side note. Uh, so, um, yeah, she would be what you call Christian by name. Okay. So she says, yeah, I'm Christian, meaning I learned the content. Gotcha. She was not what they would call born again. Gotcha. They have to say born again Christian in their culture to mm. mean, yeah, I've surrendered my life to Christ. So she said, yeah, I acknowledge the Christian stuff, but I haven't followed it yet. Which I wonder how many, like, the what the percentages would be in America um, that would be similar to that. You know, you know I've heard uh, from one of our speakers who's friends with Will Graham. Um, he endorsed Mudrunner, the book I recently wrote. Yeah. Uh, and our speaker asked Will Graham, who is Billy Graham's grandson, hey, what would Billy, your grandfather, say, you know, he Great evangelist, tra- right. transform the world. Yeah, many coming to Christ. In fact, fun side story: my uh, my grandfather attended the 1955 Scotland Crusade of Billy Graham, which led toward his salvation. Hmm. Um, so, 
he said, yeah, my grandfather, Billy, would have said that they believe that up to 80% of people in church today aren't really saved. Mm. Um, there's lots of stats and things on that. But yeah, so Mary Amu is her name. She uh, was not a born-again believer yet. I came back with my friend Nathan, and we spent three months there in the bush living in a tent and uh, went from village to village proclaiming the gospel and trying to train people who said yes to Jesus. And uh, Was there much fruit at that time? Uh, some here and there, some not. Was it encouraging, discouraging? Where were you at like in All this mission? All of the above. There were days I wanted to quit, pack my bag, and go home and thought it was the worst thing on the planet, and there were days that I was excited through the roof. So in the midst of that, like, how did you find yourself continuing to be faithful to what God was calling you to? So there was a day when I was extremely discouraged. We had, let me just share a few things. Our car had broken down multiple times. I was driving a lot and they run over rocks and puncture the gas tank and stuff like that. <laughs> Other times it just broke down. Our car was broken. We'd have to be like driving through the bush at a mile per hour, hop out and tap on the uh, intakes on the engine and for whatever reason could drive faster for like a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so Nathan's hopping out, running alongside the car, tink, 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 tink. And so stuff like that was happening. Then um, we watched a woman run into camp one day with blood gushing out of her arm, screaming. Like, what the heck? Just this eerie feeling. Uh, she's like, some guy told me to make him food. He didn't like it, so he cut me with a knife. Stuff like that was going on. Um, one day... Uh, we go to disciple the people we'd be sharing Bible stories with every day, and they're not at their hut. Where are they? We start asking, oh, we think they went drinking down there with the other tribe. This other tribe makes local moonshine in their huts, Totoga tribe. So we start walking around. Hey, if I want to find alcohol, where would I find it? And people just point that direction, whatever. So we went and found our so-called disciples flat on their faces, can't stand up, snotting drunk. Um, that happened for at least five days. Like, what am I doing here? Like, is this a waste of time? Um, this guy came to us and said, please help my daughter. She's sick. And we learned that she had visited a, a local government doctor. So we're like, well, maybe she's okay. And well, let's pray about it. The problem is in these contexts, if you can't say yes to everybody or you become an ambulance and taxi service fairly quickly right. and you'll never accomplish your mission. I wonder why Jesus said to his disciples when he sent them out from village to village in pairs, uh, don't greet anyone on the road in these contexts makes a lot of sense. Right. So uh, we're like, let's pray. Me, Nathan, Mariamu, another guy pray about it. And we felt like God said, nope, don't do it. Just wait. Okay, that's the best we can do. Three days later, the uh, tribal guy runs into our camp, furiously panicked, and we follow him. <clears throat> and uh, we find this girl, maybe she's nine years old, I don't know, coughing up blood and going unconscious. So we say we got to do something or she's going to die. So we hop in our little Suzuki and drive two some hours out of the bush to a hospital and uh, bring her in. And the doctors are taking their time, not doing a lot. <clears throat> and her hands start to go cold and she dies there in the hospital. And her dad is mourning and shrieking out. And so we load him up back in the car with his dead daughter and drive back to the village. It's nighttime. Darkness is upon us. And... All the people are wondering what's happened. So they're coming around the car, and then they start shrieking in the night and morning. And uh, he says, hey, I was staying at Keula's hut. It's over there. 
he wasn't from that village. They're nomadic, so he was from another. They travel around a lot. He was from another village. <clears throat> so we start going over toward Kula's hut, and Kula's hut was separated by a football field or two from everybody else's hut. And he says to the crowd, "Don't you put this dead body over here? You guys always put your problems on me." And they all picked up rocks like they were going to stone him and kill him. And we're like, "Uh oh!" <laughs> I was scared. I didn't know what to do. Uh, this other guy who's with us, like pushed them apart and they all calmed down. I mean, I was like hiding behind the car. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, oh crap. Well, it's about to hit the fan. Um, so he's like, fine, let's put the body over at the other huts. So we go over there. He lays down the body next to the huts on a cold, hard ground. And, um, they're all arguing angrily. And I'm like, okay, they're, they're pissed about Kula. Yep. Yeah. So finally, I interrupt him, and I say, hey, I want to tell you something. Um, I agree with you. Keel is wrong. He shouldn't have done that. He should have taken the body at his house. We all told you about Jesus, and you said you wanted to follow him, right? I said, yep. So fine. Jesus said that we're to forgive people in the same way he's forgiven us, so we need to forgive Keel. And they said, okay, we understand. I said, listen, um, we want to give you a gift. We know that you lost your first wife, the mother of your dead daughter. You've lost that bloodline, and we know that you want to bury her with her mother in the other village. Tomorrow morning, we'll drive you to wherever that village is so you can bury her with her mother. Great. We all go to bed, and I wake up for one of the worst drives of my entire life. Uh, I'm driving this Suzuki. Nathan's in the passenger seat, and in the back seat, three-seat bench, we've got Mariamu. uh, We've got the father, his current wife, and an African pastor who was with us and the dead body strapped across their laps. As I started pulling away from the village, uh, it already started to smell bad, like rotting flesh. So we had to roll down the windows and we're driving up over this Tanzanian mountain. Rocks are scraping the bottom of the car. Like this car wasn't built for these roads. We might break down in the middle of nowhere. This is horrible. Finally, we made it to the village by God's grace and start digging the grave with the men of the village and all of a sudden, there's this commotion after a little while. And I said, Mariamu, what on earth is going on? <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> and she said, well, they're all arguing because somebody cut off a portion of that girl's body for witchcraft. Mm. I'm like, man, when you think it couldn't get any worse, it gets worse. In the midst of all of these types of things going on, I walked out of my tent one night. Angry, frustrated, discouraged, thinking, maybe I should just pack up my bags, give up, and go home. This isn't worth it. It's dark. There's spiritual darkness. It's not working. It's difficult. Um, Is it really worth it? And as I was walking around in the night, angry and frustrated, hoping that I wouldn't get eaten by a lion or hyena, (laughs) not really actually thinking about it, um, I looked up in the stars, and I saw a house in the shape of the stars, and I felt God's prompting, just like, Charlie, I'll build my house among the Hods Bay. I will build my house among this people. Don't worry about it. Mm. And I was filled with peace, like, all right, God's got it. And it gave me the strength to keep going. And we have seen God's movement. Um, Before 2014, there was no church, no Bible, no discipleship in their language. Now there's a small local house church gathering, uh, evangelism from village to village, and um, people being trained to make disciples we worked with Mariamu to see the entire New Testament and parts of the Old Testament and worship songs all translated into their language um, along with discipleship materials. 
Uh, so God is at work there, but it surely has not been without difficulty. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of this idea. That's something we've talked about often on this podcast. And I think that I would love to have your thoughts on it. Um, this is, this is one of the many bunny trails that I take as the host. Um, is there's kind of this idea of open doors and closed doors. Yeah. And, uh, and John and I have had conversations about this. So there's so many people like, well, God's going to open the door. And if the door's not open, then it must not be from God. And then there's this idea that John introduced of like, eh, sometimes God's asking you to kick a door down. Yeah. And so what would you say like to the, to the believer maybe listening that's like, well, God's just not opening doors, so he must not be in it. <laughs> Did John steal that from my book, Mud Runner? I wrote <laughs> I a whole so. chapter on it, and yeah. he endorsed it. So <laughs> I think he said it uh, before you brought uh, your book. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe I stole it from him. Who knows? Right. Um, There's nothing new anymore. <sighs> that's true. Yeah. If you want to dig uh, into that a little bit, there's a chapter in Mud Runner. Um, Which we'll it. have a link in the show notes for. Awesome. Yep. Um, you can check it out there, but, uh, let's talk about that open and closed doors. Um, I've been to 21 countries now and seen God at work and also seen the spiritual opposition and difficulty. Uh, I've faced rebel rumors of rebel attacks, uh, police escorts, landslides, blocking the only roads in and out, um, debilitating sickness, horrible division, spiritual attacks, um, fear of the unknown, you name it, physical limitations, trying to get to remote places, uh, car breakdowns, motorcycle breakdowns, extreme resistance. Um, there will be opposition. Imagine going into a hornet's nest and shaking it up. You think anything's going to happen? We're going into demonic hornet's nest and shaking them up. Like Satan has had strongholds on people groups for generation after generation, and we're going to go in there and shake things up. Right. So, yeah. There's going to be opposition. Yeah. Uh, do you think Satan's like, let's just keep the door open. Come on in. Right. Um, uh, do you want some sauce with that? My pleasure. Yeah. No. Right. Say Chick-fil-A. <laughs> uh. Uh, I don't think so. Although planting Chick-fil-A's around the world would be a good idea to grow the church. Anyway. Um, hey, if you want to start in Manistee, Michigan, I support it. <laughs> so, yeah, there's going to be extreme opposition. Yeah. Uh, read the book of Acts. They're run out of towns. They're persecuted. They're stoned. I think sometimes we have opposition and difficulty and we say, well, it must be a closed door, not God's will. Yeah. The only time I see in the scripture a mention of an open door is Paul saying, pray for me that a door may be open, that I may be proclaim the gospel. But whenever difficulty or opposition arise, they never ran as if that was a closed door. Yeah. They continued to persevere and proclaim the gospel, whether it was in prison or in the streets or in homes. And so, yeah, sometimes we need to go and kick the door down mm -hmm. and say, God said, go make disciples of all nations, therefore we'll go. I've had people tell me, I don't think it's wise for you to go to some of those countries. Well, um, okay, God said go. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if I think it's wise, uh, so we go. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's been a resounding piece in my, like, because I moved here from the Bible Belt, right? And it's like, Dude, freaking ministry is, it's not easy. It has its own yeah. difficulties, but like getting into the schools and being involved with sports teams and like it's Christian culture. Like no one thinks it's weird. Nobody, yep. there's no pushback. It's easy to be a Christian in the Bible Belt, right? And like I said, there's they have their own difficulties. Yep. But I remember moving up here and just like trying to get involved mm. with a school. 
Mm-hmm. And you're like, there's, I mean, I'm just being honest. There are moments where it's like, man, like I'm making no connections. Yep. I've been emailing the same people for months. I've been trying to meet with them. And you're sitting there like, man, did I hear God wrong? <laughs> like, was like, was that, was this my idea? And then there's just like those incredible moments mm-hmm. when the door finally opened, right? And you're able to coach on the team mm-hmm. or you're able to finally have that Jesus conversation that yep. you've been praying for. And plenty of other stories too. But I think there's, some, there's something to be said about faithfulness mm. in the midst of difficulty yeah. and how much that grows and produces growth mm. in you, not only in the situations you're trying to impact, but also like what God's trying to do in your heart. Because I imagine that as you're in the midst of the difficulty of taking the gospel to the Hadza Bay or some of the many other unnamed countries that you've been to, not only is the goal for God to be glorified in those places and for his kingdom to grow and for mm. him to impact those places. But I imagine in your life that as you've continued in that, because you'd be the first one to admit you haven't arrived yet, right, spiritually, yeah. but there's got to be these things where God is growing something in you as well, mm. right? And I think that that is, um, that's a huge piece of that yeah. too, of being willing to embrace difficulty because if it's always easy, sooner or later we're going to lose our dependence on God, mm. you know? So I don't know. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a growing dependence on God continually, and uh, I feel like perseverance and grit is a lost character trait in our day. Mm. Uh, Nobody wants to persevere. Nobody has grit to move forward. It's like fast food Christianity. Let's make this easy. Um, Yeah, you want some ketchup with your fries? My pleasure. Right. Uh, That's not what it is. Amen. But (laughs) but still— Um, it requires perseverance. Uh, it requires grit. And how do we do that? Hebrews 12 tells us, let us run the race marked out for us with perseverance. How? Fixing Fixing our eyes on Jesus. And just after that, the next verse, it says, consider him who endured opposition so that you may not grow weary and faint hearted. Mm. So you don't want to grow weary and faint hearted and give up and go home. Consider Jesus, fix your eyes on Jesus. He faced opposition and he endured. Yeah, and I think too so, the promises that we find, I believe it's in Romans five. Yeah, of when we embrace suffering yeah. and how it's producing in us more. Yeah. Yep. And so I think just this ideal, this ideology of like Christianity, like I just want the easiest version mm. of Christianity I can. And it's like, man, but do you want the fullness yeah. of Christianity? Because if you want the fullness of what God has for us, a part of that is embracing suffering mm. and becoming like Christ in that suffering and stepping into situations where it might be difficult, there might be sacrifice, there might be situations that aren't ideal. But in the midst of that, now it's growing something in me that's beginning to look more yeah. and more like the kingdom of God. And I think that's a huge piece. And I think that's something I see directly from your life. Um, I, I hinted at the beginning about how I used to not like you. Um, used to, <laughs> keyword. But I remember um, when I was 21 years old and coming into faith and I came to forge for this discipleship thing and I uh, got hurt while doing a missions training. I'm like, all right, well, you're just going to hang out in Denver for 16 days or whatever that was. And uh, they were like, all right, one day you're going to, Charlie's going to be like your, your source of transportation, whatever that is. And so uh, <laughs> we hang out that day. You drop me off at a mosque um, on crutches and you're like, yeah, just go see what happens. And I'm like, well, what do you want me to do? And you're like, I don't know, just pray about it. And you're like, I told you to share Jesus with people. Uh, no, I you think. didn't. You said pray about it. That's all he said. So I go in. I remember leaving. I was so frustrated because it was like, man, like I, I can't do this stuff. I don't know the God. He knows all this stuff. And I just remember in the midst of that getting really mad at you, mm-hmm. but then realizing that it was just you had something that I didn't have. And it was this dependent relationship that wasn't dependent on your abilities or 
what you had to offer, but it was more on a dependence to the spirit. And I didn't understand it at the time. And so therefore that not understanding, just, I deferred that to anger towards you that you were weird. Um, Oh man, might be, but yeah. But I remember how through that relationship and through spending time, it's like, man, like I just want to know this God that this dude follows because it's different than this Christianity that maybe I've been introduced to. And as I embrace that, and it's not that you follow anything different than anybody else. It's just, you take God at his word and you do what you can to do everything he said the best you can, depending on him along the way. And, uh, so I just think that through that, it changed Mm. my view, um, of what it looked like to actually be a disciple of Christ, what it actually looked like to be a follower of the way of Jesus. And so from that standpoint, I would say thank you to you yeah. um, just for that shaping piece within that. And uh, you're also, you're challenging me on a plane ride to the <laughs> Middle East somewhere about prayer and stuff like that. And we were talking about like, what is the gospel to you? And I remember you're like, well, how would you tell somebody though? And I was like, duh, duh, uh, duh, duh. and you're like, well, just write it down, type it out. What's the gospel? And we talked <laughs> Uh, like this, I don't even remember that. Right. But we're on this 14-hour plane ride and all this stuff. But uh, just, I mean, just so much shaping that happened just from the way that you willfully step into mm-hmm. and challenge people. I love that about you. But And also the reason I say, Lord, we praise you. Um, just kind of just setting our heart rightfully before God in the midst of prayer. Mm-hmm. Little footprints of how you've impacted my life. So I do appreciate that about you. But, man, I appreciate your ministry um, and uh, appreciate you coming and joining us. Yeah, it's been a so, joy to be here. Yeah, it's been it's so cool hearing how at an early age God radically showed up in your life. Yeah. But how it became about self. Adam Sharp, ladies and gentlemen, here's my keys, bro. We're we're you're gonna make it on the episode. <laughs> Just so you guys know, Adam Sharp is here because I think he's gonna fix my truck. Because that's the kind of guy he is. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate you, bro. Shout out, Adam Sharp. <laughs> <laughs> and when, the best part about this podcast, Charlie, that, Sol- will, that will be in the episode. Hey, so. <laughs> there you go. Hey, he's a good guy. I like yeah, him. I just that. for the record. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, just in the midst yeah. of your change life story. Mm. But I love that moment of surrender. Get on yeah. your face. I changed everything. Yeah. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today if it wasn't for that. Hmm. Um, so. Yeah. And I mean, married now. Beautiful daughter. She has the coolest teddy bear of any kid in the country. Uh, yep, because you gave it to her. <laughs> and believe it or not, it is her favorite stuffed animal uh, ever. It. So, so. Uh, love it. Um, man, I appreciate you. Uh, I don't know, anything <laughs> anything else you want to add? Uh, I'll just say, man, it's a joy joining you guys. And um, I don't always have all the answers. Not that great. I'm um, trying to figure this stuff out. Um, God said go, so I go, and we figure it out as we go. Uh, two things that I'll say I have that not everybody has that God's wired me with, and that's I'm an opportunist, and I try the impossible things. Hmm. So make the most of every opportunity, Colossians 4 or 5. Um, if I see something, I'm just going to try it. Hmm. Just try it. Make, yeah. it. make an opportunity. It doesn't work. Think outside the box. Try something else. Yeah. And uh, also people say, oh, that can't be done. Oh, why not? Let's yeah. just try it. I think sure, man. I I try to push to do the impossible with God. All things are possible. We know that scripture. Yeah. Um, but things, they really are possible, but people think they're not. Mm. And um, so I would just be leave that encouragement. Hey, with God, all things are possible. He's already said, go make disciples of all tribes. Therefore, we all have a part to play. Let's get after it. Let's see what can happen. Um, if you want to reach out to me, ask any questions, need prayer, whatever, uh, you can go to charliemarquis.com, C-H-A-R-L-I-E, 
M-A-R-Q-U-I-S.com, or you can connect with Britton and, and get in touch with me. Um, happy to, to be in touch with anyone. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we'll have a connect for that in the awesome. show notes. So, Charlie, man, we appreciate you coming. And uh, Tap Family, like always, the ask. Um, we just ask that if you appreciated um, Charlie's uh, story and just kind of his his journey of what it looked like for him to give his yes to Jesus and uh, to do anything he could in the midst of that mm-hmm. to see his kingdom come. Um, Make sure to share this episode, uh, like it, make sure you subscribe on uh, whichever platform you listen to. If you're already subscribed, crazy concept, algorithms are real, unsubscribe and subscribe again uh, because we're continuing to try to move this podcast up the chart. So that's that's your part to play as a part of the Tabernacle family. Um, but more than anything, man, just continue uh, tuning in and continue chasing Jesus with everything you have. Uh, so yeah, Tab family, until next time, this is Brittany and Charlie signing off. <laughs>